for the remainder of our time then. Let us return to Numbers chapter 33. The title I want to give to the meditation tonight is Remember and Reflect. We're going to look at the whole chapter and I would like to draw four practical lessons for us from it, seeking the Lord's blessing, of course. But that's the title I want to give, Remember and Reflect. What are we to make of a chapter like this? I suppose you're probably not much different from myself when we come to a chapter like this. We possibly wouldn't read it by choice and we might pass over it. But as we've said, as we've begun to look at the book of Numbers, we realize that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And verse 2 is something that might strike you. Here we're told, And Moses wrote their goings out according to their journeys by the commandment of the Lord. Now we're not going to, in any sense, divide Scripture. We know that all Scripture is inspired by God. But here we have, clearly in the writing here, that this chapter was commanded by God to be written by Moses. And when we come to this, this should immediately put a, a light on us, if you like, and it should stir us up to look into it. Because obviously there are things that we can learn, as it, as it is with all the scripture of God. What have we got here then? Well, basically we have a record of the, the journey and the places that the people of Israel journeyed from Egypt to where they found themselves here on the very border or the threshold of the promised land. And for our edification tonight, we could really divide uh, the journey and the places up into four different categories. Well, the first one we want to notice here is under the heading of the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord's faithfulness. In this list, which is not complete actually, as we shall notice later on, but in this fairly lengthy list, there are a number of places mentioned there. And they all reveal the Lord looking after his people, providing for them, watching out for them, caring for them, and undertaking for them. Verses 3 and 4, obviously, at the very beginning, relate how they come out of Egypt. And that was a wonderful and a glorious salvation. Truly, the hand of God was in that. These people could never have left Egypt unless the Lord had undertaken for them. 
You know the story. There's no much point in me relating it to you. You know exactly what happened. But the end of it really was the demise of the Egyptians. The Egyptians were a superpower. They were a world power. And after the people of God left, they were never the same again. They diminished. They lost their stranglehold. They lost their power. They lost their authority. God indeed had brought them down and he used his people. It was truly marvelous. It was a glorious, wonderful salvation where the right hand of God was revealed. For 400 years they were in bondage and they were in slavery. But after God had wrought judgments upon Pharaoh, upon his host, upon the gods of Egypt, the Lord's people, what are we told here? went out with an high hand in the sight of all the Egyptians. They didn't go out by stealth. The Lord took them out with a high hand. His mighty hand, his arm was laid bare in their salvation. And this is recounted here that they might remind themselves of the faithfulness of God as they were going to go into the promised land. The same God who had taken them out of Egypt, taken them all the way through the wilderness for some 38 to 40 years, that same God was going to go before them. There are other instances there. Verse 8, we have the parting of the Red Sea. Again, another wonderful deliverance by the Lord their God. Here they were, hemmed in by the environment, the sea in front of them, and what was coming? Pharaoh with all his hosts, a great, mighty, powerful army that would, humanly speaking, could easily overcome them. The Lord brought about a great deliverance. The Red Sea was split. They were able to walk through <coughs> on dry ground. And when the Egyptians sought to do the same, what happened? They were drowned. And they would never see these Egyptians again. Instead, their bodies would be washed up on the shore. Such was the salvation that the Lord wrought. <coughs> then you have the part, and then they have the water at Elam. We have this in Exodus chapter 15. They were in the desert. They come to Elam. What do they find? Water, shelter, provision for them. The Lord being faithful to them. It's also mentioned there in verse 40, to, again, to encourage them about King Ahad, the Canaanite, who came out after them. He heard about them in their journey. He was going to fight with them, and he fought with them. But Israel overcame, and that was to be a preview of what was going to happen all the time when they would go into the Promised Land. The people of God would have the victory. And it's recounted here for them, again, that they might be reminded about the Lord's faithfulness. Well, here we are. We've just finished an old year. It's gone. We're just at the beginning of a, a new year. And at this time, it's quite normal for people to reflect. They have more time in their hands. Many people are on holiday. Maybe the holiday time has come come to an end, but nevertheless there is time. 
the, the nights are long and there's not much activity and there's, the mind is working. Well, it is good for the Christian to think about his pilgrimage, about his walk in this life, and for him to sit down and to consider and to remember the Lord's faithfulness during your own pilgrimage. This is what is meant to teach us here. As he was faithful to these people, so is he faithful to his New Testament believers and followers. They are ones who are the recipients of the faithfulness of God. And whatever we might be able to say about our pilgrimage, we will be able to say definitely, with enthusiasm, with zeal and with pride and with delight that the Lord has been faithful. We might not have been faithful. The Christian may, may well not have been faithful. And we will cover that maybe later on. But we can all look up. We can all rejoice. We can all have, say that we've had prayers answered. The Lord has provided for us. The Lord has protected us. The Lord has taken us thus far. Because the Lord is faithful. We love that text, do we not? In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Is that not true of yourself, Christian? Can you not say this? That you are where you are by the grace of God, and that grace of God will not be taken away from you? Oh, that's not a license to sin by any manner of means. It's to stir us up. It's to make us diligent. It's to make us thankful and grateful for the faithfulness of God. But nevertheless, it fills our heart with delight that the Lord our God is indeed faithful. And he will prove to be faithful to the very end. He will never let his people go. And surely this is what he wants to draw to their attention at this time. On the threshold of a new beginning, where there will be new problems, new difficulties, new handicaps, new obstacles to overcome. They'll have to fight the good fight of faith as they go into the promised land, but they will be able to fight and to take possession with this strengthening their backbone, the faithfulness of the Lord their God. Well, friends, that Lord has not changed. He cannot change. Everything else changes all around us. We change. Our circumstances change. We live in a world of change. But God, the Lord, cannot change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the one who has saved us. Is he not worthy then of our worship? Is he not worthy then of our admiration? Is he not worthy of our obedience? Will we not follow him? The Lord, the Lord's faithfulness. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. For thy compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. What else? Well, we have here, secondly, we have 
the Lord's forgetfulness. His faithfulness and his forgetfulness. Now let's be clear. The Lord cannot forget. The Lord does not forget anything. But in this chapter here, he not only records places that he was faithful to his people where he provided for his people. He also mentions places where the Lord's people rebelled against him and they grumbled and they moaned against him and they sinned against him. Various places are mentioned. And we know as we've gone through the book of Numbers that this is something that we've found constantly. The people moaned, they grumbled. There was no water, there was no food. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron as if they were responsible for everything and as if they could sort all their problems out. They grumbled against the leadership that the Lord had implanted and put there. And very often... They provoked the Lord to wrath. Well, these places are mentioned there. As you will look through, you will see it. But there's no commentary. There's no description there concerning these places. Why? Because the Lord does not remember their sins. Their sins have been dealt with. He has covered them. But he doesn't remember in the sense that he brings them up again to them. And this is wonderful. This is glorious. This is something that the Christian needs to take on board. Because as we go through our Christian pilgrimage, we will acknowledge and delight in the faithfulness of God. But we will also acknowledge there will be times when we will sin against the living God. And yet we will repent. We will confess, we will repent, we will seek to forsake and we will cry out for new obedience that we would not commit these sins again. And we know the Lord does indeed forgive. But very often we can remember them ourselves. And they can somewhat bring us down. But we are to be encouraged. We are to realize that when God forgives the slate is wiped clean. He does not hold these sins to us against us again. They have been dealt with. And in one real sense, the Lord looks upon his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been imputed with his righteousness. We have his righteousness covering us. He has taken our sin upon the cross. He has paid the price. And God looks upon his people in Christ. And what does he see? He sees us in Christ. And this is something the Christian at this time when he'll be thinking about his pilgrimage, he's to remember and he's to reflect upon these things about the graciousness of God. Our God is a forgiving God. Oh, he does not go light in sin. Let's not think that for one moment. No, our sins have been punished. They have been paid for. By our surety, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of this, therefore God is merciful. And God is merciful. And in this chapter here, he could have gone on and on about how they rebelled and 
how they committed adultery and how they committed immorality and how they committed idolatry and how when the quails were given to them they, they began to be sick because the Lord did not bless the quails that he had given to them. Even Aaron where is it mentioned? Verse 38. And Aaron the priest went up into Mount Hor at the commandment of the Lord and died there. But it doesn't say. It was because he did not sanctify the Lord his God that he died and that he was, would not go into the promised land. It doesn't say it. It just simply states the fact that the commandment of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the first day of the fifth month. Do we not rejoice therefore that the Lord our God is indeed a forgiving God? I'm looking at the metrical version of the psalm we've just sung. And verse 3, Lord, who shall stand if thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, but yet with thee forgiveness is that feared thou mayest be. Do we really realize that God is indeed a forgiving God? Well, I'm sure that if we know this, we've experienced it. Well, it has a practical application for us. Not only that we must not bring up the sins that we have committed ourselves that have been forgiven, and we must not dwell upon them, and we must not let them fetter us, or drag us down, or rob us from the joy of our salvation. But also, we are to exercise forgiveness against any whom we think has sinned against us. God has forgiven his people in Christ Jesus. This should be the mark of the Christian, that the Christian should be a forgiving individual. Is it not true that we can rub one another up the wrong way? We can sin against another. We might not even be aware of it. Someone might have uh, something against us and we might not be aware of it. People are to forgive one another. This is to be the hallmark of the Christian. If the Christian knows that his sins are forgiven and that God has done something wonderful in his life, therefore he is to be one who will forgive others. Surely that's only but reasonable. The Lord is faithful. And the Lord, in that sense, forgets our sins. We're going to conclude by singing from Psalm 103, and it mentions this, this truth about how the Lord does, forgets our sins. As far as east is distant from the west, so far hath he Removed from us removed in his love all our iniquity. Let us not bear grudges then. Let us not be unforgiving. 
Let us be ones who will forgive others and who will put bad incidents behind us and walk on in the light of the gospel. Well, we have the, forget the Lord's faithfulness. We have the Lord's forgetfulness. Thirdly, we might have what we would say the ordinariness. What am I talking about? Well, there are many things here, many places mentioned here that we really know nothing about. Nothing seems to have happened in some of these places. Some of them well-known things have happened. But other places, nothing notable has happened at all. All they've done is simply been there and camped for some period of time. But nothing noteworthy is recorded in the scriptures about most of these places that are mentioned in Numbers chapter 33. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us surely that God is interested in the ordinary little things of our lives. They were there for certain periods of time. They lived out their existence. They did what they had to do, and God remembered it. And in some sense, God was working in their lives, even in the ordinary things of the day, as they were doing their washing, as they were doing their cleaning, as they were doing the ordinary things that all of them did. The Lord was still watching over them and working out his plan and his purpose for them, even in the mundane, even in the very ordinary day-by-day -day things that they had to do. And this is exactly the same for you and I today. We look at the Lord's faithfulness. We could call them the highs. We could look upon when the Lord has truly delivered us and done something wonderful in our lives. When we felt the presence of the Lord, when he showed his faithfulness. And we could look at the lows of our life. We could go and look at the sins we've committed, how we're ashamed of them, yet God has forgiven us. But our life is more than highs and lows. There's a lot of ordinary activity in our lives. There's a housewife who's hoovering, who's washing, who's ironing, who's doing all kinds of things, ordinary things that no one really takes any notice of, but the Lord does. And this could be said for men, for, for boys and for girls. It matters not. We all have ordinary things in life that we do, and we think they're not special in any sense. But nevertheless, God is interested in them. And in these ordinary, little, incidental, little things, God is working out his plans and purposes for the individual. And they're all part, they're all part of bringing us ultimately to glory. We have the highs, we have the lows. But the overwhelming part of this chapter is incidents that are not recorded in places that we know very little about. Therefore, be encouraged, friends. God knows. And when God sees us being diligent about our callings, whatever our calling is, is it a housewife? Is it a husband? Is it a wife? 
Is it a mother? Is it a father? Is it a grandfather? There are various duties associated with these posts that are ordinary, that you won't get a pat in the back for. You won't get a, 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 a mention in the, in the honors list or anything like that. But the Lord sees and the Lord takes notice. And even in these things that seem unimportant, the Lord is there. Be assured. That's why we are to remember and reflect. We're to think on these things. Why this is written for us. It's written for us to realize that God is with us in all our journey. Not just the highs or the lows. But the very mundane, ordinary, boring things in our lives. Fourthly, <coughs> lastly, I don't expect any of you to have counted, but there are 42 places mentioned here. 42. There are more than 42 places that the people camped at. There are some places that are not recorded here that are recorded, I think it's in Numbers 21. So they camped in more than 42 places. But 42 places are mentioned here. And we think there is a reason for this. Six sevens are 42. Six sevens are 42. Here they were on the edge of the promised land and about to go into the final seven. They were going to go into the promised land and they were going to occupy the promised land in the final seven. So God had been faithful to them Highs and lows and ordinary things. And he brought them right to the very edge or the threshold of the promised land. Six sevens. And in the final seven, they were going to enter in to their rest. That's what the promised land was going to be for them. Yes, we know they had to fight for it and they would fight for it. But when they fought... Then they would enter into the rest. Surely this is telling us and encouraging us that God will take us to his rest. He will take us not to an earthly promised land, but to the ultimate promised land. And on our journey... We will know the faithfulness of God. We will know the forgetfulness of God when he forgives our sins on that journey. And we will know God working even in the very ordinary things. And once we have reached the end, whenever that will be, he will take us 
into a promised land. That's what's before us here. And it was a great chapter to, re, to cause the people to stop, to think, to ponder, and to reflect about the greatness and the glory of their God. And what he did as they wandered for 38 years in the desert. What a glorious, faithful God he proved to be. Well, as we have said, the Lord has not changed. And therefore this calls upon us, therefore, to serve him with all our hearts in this year that is to come. We've just begun it. Let us, therefore, reflect or remember and reflect upon our great God. And as we walk day by day with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, Never will I leave thee, nor forsake thee. And this is what happened to them in that journey. He did not leave them, and he did not forsake them.